Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. I'm Edward Fraser, managing editor of the Hockey News, filling in for Ken Campbell, who's on vacation. Still got senior writers Matt Larkin and Ryan Kennedy here with me. We're here previewing the Eastern Conference after doing the West last week. Last week? Yes. I got my I got my cat here. Boo, I'm allergic to you, cat. <laughs> One of three. I don't think he's going to uh, have any feelings either way on any of the playoff series, but we'll check in. We'll see how your analysis is, and if it's no good, we'll check in with the cat. <laughs> he'll be he'll be he'll be uh, pushing the Panthers. Hey oh oh already. I'll, I'll just I'll let myself out. <laughs> even my not, even my cat wouldn't back the Panthers. Fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's how bad the Panthers are. Yeah, they're not wouldn't good. Back, wouldn't back well, the Panthers. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll discuss it. Save it for the podcast. AK right now. now. Right now. <laughs> Well, let's start with the uh, Penguins-Habs. Uh, strangely, one of the more intriguing series. Um, you wouldn't think so. Habs fans didn't have a lot of hope that this team was going to make the playoffs. But now, I think in a short series, uh, there's some hope they could at least get through. But let's start on the offensive side. Who gets the edge offensively in this series? Well, to me, I, I think this is probably the biggest advantage that the Penguins have in the series. Uh, they were still a top 10 offense overall for the season in the league. And that's with Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel missing significant portions of the season and getting Jason Zucker later in the season. So if you factor in now the Penguins being healthy, Brian Rust having a huge breakout season and Evgeny Malkin, I think pretty quietly playing at an MVP level. He was actually near the bottom, but on my heart belt. That's how good Evgeny Malkin was in my opinion. Uh, and, and on the other hand, the Habs, you know, they, they shoot the puck like nobody else. Nobody shoots more than the Habs. Nobody puts more pucks in that, that, than the Habs in the entire NHL. Uh, but they don't have a real finisher right now. Maybe someday they will with Cole Caulfield. It kind of highlights how badly they need him down the road. Uh, but their top goal scorer, 22 goals, Thomas Tatar and Brendan Gallagher. So I, I think, you know, the Habs are not terrible. They do generate a lot of chances. But Pittsburgh is, Pittsburgh's, you know, they're not maybe what they were a few years ago, but they're still one of the better offensive teams in the league. I give the edge to Pittsburgh for sure. Yeah, it's Pittsburgh for me as well. Um, you know, a, a lot, and we'll talk about this in the goaltending section where I, you know everybody talking about Carey Price in a, you know in a short series, but Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin are not afraid of Carey Price. They respect Carey Price, but these are two of the best centers in the world of the past you know twenty thirty years. They know how to create offense on any goaltender in the league. And as Matt said, you bring him back, Jake Gensel, you get Jason Zucker, Patrick Marlowe as well. I know Patrick Marlowe, you know, not a huge offensive driver, but he can still skate. And you look at the depth that Pittsburgh has and Montreal just can't match it. I mean, another X factor too is, is Max Domi going to play in this series? We know that the Habs, you know, are holding him out to begin with uh, because he is diabetic and um, you know, the, the chances of him being adversely affected, by COVID-19 even more so than the average player are heightened. Um, if Domi is not there or, you know, tentative in any way, um, that's one of the Habs' best offensive weapons. I just don't see how these teams, uh, you know, match up offensively other than Pittsburgh in a landslide. You got to figure Domi plays – cats up. Got to figure Domi plays if uh, – as long as there's no – 
positive tests, but that's a huge if. That's it's, mm-hmm. it's almost it's almost uh, you're gambling. I mean, I can't see yeah. bringing him in if 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 there is a positive test because of the um, same with Capo Caco in in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, defensively, a little more even defensively between these two teams. I mean, you got to like Shea Weber, but on the other side, Chris Letang. Ryan, let's start with you on defense. Well, for me, it's still Pittsburgh. You know, if you, if you look at goals <clears throat> against, uh, they were the better team. Uh, penalty kill, I believe they were the better team as well this season. And, you know, the, the Penguins, for the large part, you know, you have Chris Letang, obviously, and more of a lunch pail group after that. But, you know, you look at John Marino and the great season he had as a rookie. Um, you know, Justin Schultz had a down year, but he can still move the puck. Um, I, I just think that overall, you know, that defense knows what they have to do and they're pretty good at it. And then again, you look at some of the two way players up front, starting with Sidney Crosby, you're getting that buy in uh, where you have that, you know, connection between the D and the offense that just works so well. Um, on the Montreal side, I think, you know, this is still a, uh, a unit in transition and you know we have to remember in a normal season Montreal's mo- they're not a playoff team um so you know they're they're just a step behind Pittsburgh right now and I, I think that's how we have to sort of view things is that this is you know a, a playoff team versus a non-playoff team and I think the you know by and large the margins are, are going to be pretty stark in this series mm-hmm. I see this this matchup defensively is closer to even. I think it's weird. Montreal and Pittsburgh are very similar similar to me in that they're both better than they got credit for because they were both let down by goaltending overall this season. But they're both top 10 teams in shot suppression, top 10 in expected goals against. Uh, and the Habs have the best possession line in the entire NHL this year. Thomas Tatar, Philip Deneau, Brendan Gallagher. The three of those guys rank one, two, three in the entire NHL in Corsi. Uh, so I don't see a major edge uh, maybe a slight one to Pittsburgh because of the fact, like you said, Ryan, penalty killing the Habs. I think their their weakness is penalty killing, and I think they're pretty strong overall defensively, but they're a bit weak on the PK. And the Penguins, even though their power play didn't rate as absolutely elite this year, again, that's with a lot of their best players missing throughout the season, but at full strength, I'm sure they're going to be quite deadly in the playoffs. Uh, but overall, I, I'm going to say it's it's even. Maybe a tiny edge to Pittsburgh, but I, I prefer to say even on that one. But let's get serious. Where this series gets really interesting is at the goaltending position. Uh, yes, the Pittsburgh Penguins have Matt Murray and his two Stanley Cups. But as Matt Larkin wrote about in the most recent issue of the Hockey News, uh, Carey Price, there's a lot of myth to this man. And uh, players still love him, uh, vote him every year as a top goaltender in the league because of his ability to steal games. Um, Matt, just first off, talk a little bit about the myth of Carey Price. Yeah, it's very strange. Uh, you know, the NHLPA has been publishing the online version of its player poll for three years now. Every single one of those years, the players voted Carey Price the best goalie in the NHL. Even when we have guys like Andre Vasilevsky being the actual best goalie in the NHL, or, you know, having amazing seasons, Jordan Bennington, uh, Connor Hellebuck this year. But for some reason, there's still that mystique around Price, and that's sort of what I dove into, into the story. It's why... Why does it still exist? Because the numbers aren't there anymore. The first half of his career, the resume was there. Uh, but even this year, he graded out as average at best when you look at the 
goals, goals saved above average per 60. And especially considering that the Habs, they were a good defensive team. So it's not like he had a really difficult workload the way Connor Hellebuck did. So theoretically, Price should have had really good numbers. Uh, so I actually, he actually he actually brought down Montreal's overall defensive numbers. Um, but it's, it's bigger than that. It's the, it's the mystique. It's the mental makeup. I think players around the league and shooters, they still feel like he has, and especially I talked to goalies, several different goalies, uh, retired goalies for this feature. And the one thing they all pointed out was that price doesn't have a discernible weakness. You can't game plan for, okay, go high blocker, go glove, go shoot low. There's no, definite hole in his game and that gets in shooters heads because you don't know where to go with the puck and I remember John Tavares for the story he told me he said you have to be so prepared to face him because if you're not ready you're not going to be able to score on him um but it's interesting so theoretically that should be an edge for the Habs and we know it was reported the Penguins were even pushing to make the series best of five which which it is now because of the carry price factor and I think that also ties to the questions in net for Pittsburgh and you know, people will point to the season Tristan Jari had, and he was, you know, maybe the best goalie in the entire league for the first couple months of the season. He was an all-star game invitee, but he actually torpedoed. His game tanked after the all-star break, 897 save percentage. So the wheels really did fall off for him. And it's weird because it's not like Matt Murray got things going. He never got things going this season. So I think it's a major question mark in net for the Penguins. Uh, I think you still have to go with the guy with the two Stanley Cup rings first, with Murray, but if he struggles early, especially in this short series, I, I think it's probably going to be a short leash. Uh, overall, I, I think because of that uncertainty, you still have to give the edge to Montreal, even if I think the Carey Price mystique is a bit overrated. Well, that's my question for you, Rye, is if you're picking one of the two guys, and I, let's assume that they're going to go with Murray and his two Stanley Cups, the experience that Murray has, which is crazy to think at his age of the experience and the, the success he's had, who are you taking in net? Are you taking Murray or are you taking Price, who really hasn't seen a lot of success in the playoffs in his career? Yeah, I mean, if it, it's difficult because I want to, <clears throat> I want to give the edge to Montreal in this category, but I, I think it's a, a small edge because I, I think Matt Murray can bounce back from his subpar season, especially given the long break he's had to you know just relax mentally think about where his game is, prepare himself for another Stanley Cup run. And I, I do think he's, he's the guy for Pittsburgh, at least to begin with. And if he falters, then you have an excellent option in Tristan Jari. Um, you know, if you put Matt Murray on Montreal and Carey Price on Pittsburgh, you know, then I, you know, I think Carey Price on Pittsburgh would be, you know, nearly unstoppable, but Carey Price is not on Pittsburgh. Um, yeah, you know, I, I do believe that the mystique helps Carey Price a little bit in net. I again, I don't think it ultimately matters. I mean, Sidney Crosby has eight points in his past four games against the Habs. You know, Malkin is basically a point per game player um, in his past uh, five or six games against the Habs. You know, these are guys that you know you talk about being prepared and not knowing where to shoot. Well, you know, Crosby and Malkin score goals that goalies have never seen before, including Carey Price. Um, so I think that ultimately it's not going to matter, but, you know, head to head, just based on where Murray's game was when this season uh, came to a, you know, a, a stalled point, um, you know, I, I'm going to give the edge to Montreal, but I, I don't think it's that big of an edge. I do think that's, one of the more fascinating subplots of this series. 
I'll tell you where it really comes into play if Gary Price pitches a 45 safe shutout game one. Mm-hmm. Well, yes. And all of a sudden, <laughs> it's like, and all oh, of a sudden that's, that's when everybody gets really nervous and this storyline really comes into play. Mm-hmm. Uh, intangibles in this series. Matt, let's go back to you. Uh, what are you looking at from an intangibles perspective? It's an interesting series from the intangible perspective. You know, the Penguins, obviously, they're the, the seventh best team in points in the NHL, so they have a lot more pressure. I don't think that's going to matter for a team that's so seasoned with guys like Crosby and Malkin. They're, they're going to be prepared. I'm not too worried about that. I think the intangibles uh, that are most interesting, one, there's the win it for Patrick Marlowe factor, kind of like the Ray Bork. And it's funny, someone asked me about that. And then for another story, I was talking to Ray Bork yesterday, and I was like, Patrick Marlowe, is, he's the new you. And he was laughing at that. But I really do think it's true. It's like Marlowe can have that mascot factor going. Uh, but what to me stands out the most, I think there's some strikes for Montreal in the intangibles category. For one, Price is there, but we know he was very close to not going. He talked about having COVID really hit his family close. So you have to wonder, you know, for someone who had a, a really hard time and was pretty open about it, had a hard time choosing to come, is his head going to be fully in this series, knowing that Montreal's the 24th seed? And big picture, and I know I brought this up for some other teams last week, but I think it really applies to Montreal, the Alexi Lafreniere factor. Because theoretically, okay, every team that loses the qualifying round has a 12.5% chance at Lafreniere. But the worst team in the field who has the toughest opponent is Montreal, so theoretically, you can make a case that Montreal currently has the best shot at Alexi Lafreniere. We know how magical it would be for that market. They haven't had a francophone scoring star since Pierre Turgeon and Vidi Donfus. I think it would just be unbelievable. And I think you could argue there's a lot more to gain from Montreal by losing, especially when they, you know, they're 24th overall, lucky to be in the playoffs facing the Penguins. So I don't know whether that's going to be in the back of their minds, but especially when you factor in how important price is to them and the fact that he had a hard time even deciding to come, I don't know. Is Montreal going to be mentally there for this entire series? Yeah, for me, the intangibles, I look at Pittsburgh's experience. I look at Mike Sullivan behind the bench and his ability to synthesize the players he has into a winning formula. I mean, it's just been so good over over his tenure. I think another intangible is the fact that this is a neutral site series. Montreal does not have the advantage of playing in Montreal, you know, the hockey hotbed where, you know, refs kind of get a little nervous in front of the home fans. Montreal's not going to have that. It's going to be an empty arena, um, you know, in Toronto, no less. Um, And I I do think that, you know, any sort of upset factor, like, uh, you know, like the Yarrow Halak series against Washington, all those years ago, you don't have that factor anymore. Um, so for me, the intangibles go with Pittsburgh. You know, it's an experienced team. They've faced all these things before and won it all. And it might be a weird season, but I think they can, they can see that their window is still open right now. All right, so series pick in this one. Anyone brave enough to pick the big upset and take Montreal? No, I don't think so. I think, um, I I do think I wouldn't be surprised if Montreal won game one or two, you know, especially with the questions in Pittsburgh's net. And the Habs are a fast team. They're a team that can match the Penguins stride for stride. So I think that they're going to be competitive. um, But I'm going to say Penguins in four. Montreal wins one game, then the Penguins are like, they wake up, they're like, oh my God, let's do this. And then they put the foot on the gas. I'm going to say Penguins in three. Sidney Crosby doesn't take naps. It's funny, I just did a thing, but if anyone's listening on the podcast, like, I was just doing some kind of 
That was just dead, snap, dead snap, snap. silent. Yeah, I was doing some kind of hype, like, hand thing, if anyone's okay. just listening. Yeah. Apologies to anybody listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the one thing I do want to ask before we move on to the next series is, is Pittsburgh a team that can actually win it all? So let's say they get past Montreal, but is this, that's, where, that's what I, I wonder about Pittsburgh. Is this team a true contender or not? I definitely think so. I, I, again, like, if, if Matt Murray is playoff Matt Murray – then what questions do we have? They're incredibly deep up front. Their defense can move the puck and contribute offensively and as well as being sturdy on the back end. They have a great coach. They have two of the best centers in the world. What more do you need? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree, especially considering, you know, the Penguins with all those injuries, they still have the seventh best record in the NHL. It's a testament to how good they are, even when their best guys are out. And, you know, John Reno, I think John Reno really is an important factor. He really changes the dynamic of that blue line because he, among that rookie class, he's the best defensive defenseman of the group and he can move the puck as well. Penguins also, you know, for all the talk about how good their, their scoring forwards are, they have a really good bottom six as well. Zach Aston Reese has become one of the better defensive forwards in the league and Brandon Tanev had a really good year. I thought he was overpaid, but he was quite good for the Penguins this year. So I think, I think there's multi multi-dimensional element to the forward group as well. So I think, yes, absolutely, they're, they're one of the, the better cup contenders. Hmm. I didn't mention it off the top, but that was the 5-12 matchup uh, series in the East. Uh, let's move on to the 6-11 series, which is Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Rangers. Another intriguing series. Um, Rangers, uh, a team that weren't going to be in. They weren't going to be there. So do they take that? We're happy to be here. And play loose, play type of mentality? Or, uh, you know, are they kind of like Montreal in that, yeah, in the back of the heads, <laughs> we get a chance for another potential superstar, 12 and a 12.5% chance. It, that's such a weird factor for all of these playoffs. No team is going to tank. I mean, that's, we're not suggesting as much. It's just a weird back of the head psychology of what are our better odds, winning it all or maybe getting the first overall pick. So, um, that's what that's what made the lottery so fantastic. But let's start with the offense uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. Matt, uh, your thoughts there? Well, I also want to add just just a quick thought that this is my favorite series of, of either conference in the first round. I'm the most excited to watch this series. I think it's going to be the most intriguing, most entertaining. Uh, and a big reason for that, if we're breaking down the offense, uh, the Rangers' offense is spectacular. I think they you can make a case they were the most exciting team to watch in the NHL this season, especially in the second half. Obviously, Artemi Panarin was unbelievable this season. He's a legitimate Hart Trophy candidate. And Mika's a bandajat, man. He had, I think it was 34 goals in his final 40 games, or 35. And he had 16 goals in his last 12 games going into the shutdown. And what makes the Rangers so dangerous is those two guys don't play in the same line. They're both driving two separate groups, which is pretty terrifying. And in Adam Fox and Tony D'Angelo, the Rangers have two of the better puck-moving defensemen in the NHL right now. Especially Tony D'Angelo from a pure offense standpoint. He's quite a one-way player, but what a one-way it is. Uh, and the Canes are solid, too. They have a really good first line with Svechnikov and, and Sebastian Ajo, Tuvo Teravine, and they've got good mobility from the back end, especially with Dougie Hamilton back. Uh, and they've added, of course, Vincent Trocek to give the forward group a, a different dimension. Uh, but the Rangers are – they're not just good. They're great offensively. So I have to give the edge to them, even though the Hurricanes are, are not bad at all offensively. I'm actually calling this one a tie, even though the Rangers have the more high-end elements with Panarin and Zibanejad, obviously. You know, if you look at what these teams did during the season, you know, the Rangers, Rangers had the fifth-best 
offense in the NHL. Carolina was 11th. It's, it's not that big a difference. It's 3.3 goals per game versus 3.2 goals per game. Um, you know, what Carolina does, they, they, they obviously spread it out a little bit more than the Rangers. And as Matt mentioned, you know, with Dougie Hamilton coming back healthy, you get another weapon on the blue line that can help not only the transition game, but just to put up raw numbers as well. Um, in terms of the power play, they were basically dead even. Um, so there's not a lot to parse there. I think it's go. I definitely think it's going to be a very exciting series and, you know, to see these two teams go at it, it's going to be very fun because I, I feel like neither of them really felt that they should be playing each other in a, in a weird way. You know, like if, if you'd looked at, you know, points percentage and where the Rangers were, I mean, they definitely had a great under the old system of, well, Hey, I mean, we're better than most of the teams in the other division, but we're not even going to get a wild card spot, mm-hmm. um, you know, because of it in Carolina is like, well, why do we got to play these guys that weren't that far behind us in the standings? Like we were pretty good ourselves. Um, so I, I think it's definitely going to be a, a good run and gun series. You've got to be impressed with the way um, Jeff Gordon rebuilt the Rangers team, but especially on defense. I mean, this is a team adding Truba, adding Fox. Um, you know, I think the the rebuild. I mean, when did the letter come out? Twenty eighteen, winter of so only a couple years. Two years. See, that's what I mean about how quickly this team was. I'm I'm thinking it's four years. Like it, it the, the it's remarkable how quickly this team has been rebuilt, especially on the blue line. To me. Uh, even in goal, I mean, now you've kind of handed over the range. We'll get to that after. But, uh, Ryan, let's touch on the defense first, and just especially with what Adam Fox has brought to this, this unit. Well, yeah, I mean, Adam Fox was a, a marquee free, you know, a marquee signing for uh, the Rangers. And, you know, he got a little bit overshadowed by Campbell Carr and Quinn Hughes this year. But, I mean, Fox was such a great driver. He's the prototypical modern day defenseman, so smart. You know, I mean, he's going to be a power play quarterback for the next decade uh, for New York. And, you know, I mean, overall, ironically, the the Rangers, you know, for goals against, they were one of the bottom teams in the NHL. Part of that, um, you know, the goaltending for much of the year before Shesterkin really took over. Um, I, I give the edge to Carolina in this category uh, because they had the fourth best defense in the NHL. And if you look at their goaltenders, James Reimer and Peter Morazic, they were not particularly the reason why <laughs> Carolina kept pucks out of the net. Um, you look, and once again, Dougie Hamilton's healthy. Um, you know, they, they won't have Brett Pesci, uh, which hurts, but I mean, Jacob Slavin, uh, I know Matt is a huge fan. Um, you Ooh. know, Jacob Slavin probably doesn't get enough credit. Um, you know, we, we, yeah, we haven't seen the Norris finalists yet. Um, I don't know if he'll be there or not. But, I mean, Jacob Slavin has just become such a force on the back end for Carolina. And, you know, just as a team, Carolina is – is they're so well put together right now. And, you know, Coach Rod Brindamore really has them on the same page. And I think that's what makes them so tough defensively is that as a group – there's no real soft spots out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think the edge for the Hurricanes on these, I think it's pretty strong. And the Rangers, it's weird. They have, as you alluded to, they have, they have good defense men, but they don't necessarily have good defense. 
So the, like these blue liners are, are, they're great at moving the puck and they're great at, you know, kind of achieving defense by offense by keeping the puck in one area. But actual defensive metrics say the Rangers were terrible defensively. Uh, allowed the second most shots in the NHL, bad penalty kill, second worst faceoff team in the NHL. So kind of like Chicago in the West, the Rangers kind of, their net gets blitzed with chances and they get bailed out by their goaltending. I think especially, I mean, well, Monkfist didn't bail anybody out, which is why the Rangers weren't as good in the first half, but then Shesterkin did. We'll get to that later. Uh, whereas of course the Hurricanes, I think have the best, even without Brett Pesci, they're still the best and deepest team in the NHL on defense. And Jacob Slavin, of course, I think he's sort of taken that mantle from Mark Edward Vlasic as the best shutdown defenseman in the NHL. He might be even better. He could be, you know, it's like, if, if Slavin gets to a point where he finally gets some real Norris love, it's like he could end up being a Rod Langway of this generation. You know, not the same style of game, but the equivalent defensive impact of a guy who's just, he's the, the ultimate shutdown guy. Dougie Hamilton's back. You got Brady Shea and Sammy Vatnin added to that group. You have Jake Gardner. You have Joel Edmondson. You've got uh, even Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Hayden Fleury. You have Jake Bean as, as a talented puck mover who, if there's a spot for him, he's probably NHL ready as well. So they're so deep. Uh, and they're much better shot suppressors. So I think the, the biggest advantage the Canes have in this series is defense for sure. So I just want to be clear. You said Carolina has the best defense core in the entirety of the NHL. Yes. Wow. Better than Nashville? Yeah, Nashville. I mean, now they've lost P.K. Subban, I think. Uh, Nashville might still have the best top four. You know, you have Josie and Ellis, and you have Ekholm and Dante Favreau. But Favreau's just getting started, right? So I don't think he's someone you can rely on to be the guy yet. Uh, and then Nashville, it drops off after after four, whereas Carolina's got like nine good defensemen. Yeah, depth versus high end. Also, P.K. Subban, addition by subtraction. Yeah, bad <laughs> year for P.K. Uh, goaltending, intriguing in this series, to say the least. So many series. So I was putting together stats. Is, it's funny how many teams have goaltenders who are in that number one position who have no experience. And that makes for such a huge X factor. And that comes into play in this series as well. Ryan, let's go to you on this. Well, I'm going to give the Rangers the edge in goaltending under the assumption that Igor Shesterkin ultimately wins out. It's going to be a tough decision uh, for Coach David Quinn because Henrik Lundqvist, he's the franchise. He's the icon. I mean, he is the New York Rangers. Uh, Having said that, he was the New York Rangers. And I, I think that's where we're at right now is if they actually want to make a run, it's going to be behind Shesterkin. True, he doesn't have any NHL playoff experience, but he has plenty of KHL playoff experience. He has an Olympic gold medal. And, I mean, he was the guy that – it's tough to say he saved their season because essentially, like, you know, the shortening of the season saved their season. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But uh, – but Shesterkin, he had them on the cusp, and I think it's his mantle to take. And overall, I mean, in this series, other than Shesterkin, it's not a good series for goaltenders. If you look at goals saved above average, uh, these guys are average at best, and in the case of Lundqvist, bad. Um, for Carolina, is it James Reimer? Is it Peter Morazic? I, I would assume Morazic is the guy, but... I mean, it's a tenuous spot to begin with. Um, I actually, you know, here in Toronto, I heard an ad on the radio the other day. David Ayers is doing a a special signing at a local car dealership. So he won't be in the bubble, as far as I know. 
but uh, but he's close by in case Carolina needs him. I guess he's not on the roster though, so they're out of luck there. But that that would be my main concern with Carolina is who's your guy, and what if neither of them are your guy? Matt, is there any chance that the the, the layoff <clears throat> comes back? It, it leads to a fresh Henrik Lundqvist, and you go in that direction for that reason. It's tough, you know. I, I... I think you could be right, or at least that could be your perception. And I think it's a it's a dangerous path for the Rangers to go down. And even worse, there's there's a, a couple stats that I think are going to work against the Rangers. Henrik Lundqvist's career against Carolina, 33-12-1 goals against average is 2.00, 9.34 save percentage. This year against Carolina, 3-0, 9.47 save percentage. So he's he's a cane killer. Whereas you know it's like who cares what he did against Carolina 10 years ago? It shouldn't matter. But I think. That is reportedly something that the Rangers are going to be factoring in, that for whatever reason, he has their number, and he was very good against them this year. I think that's a dangerous path because Shesterkin is the better goaltender right now. Hank is, you know, one of the top couple goalies of his generation, Hall of Famer, but Shesterkin was phenomenal. He had a 932 save percentage, and his expected goals, his shots against, I should say, per 60 minutes was the most in the league uh, among goalies who played at least 500 minutes. So he had the hardest workload. So he was, that's just a testament to how good Shesterkin was. His numbers were great, and he was absolutely peppered in his starts. So you've got to go with him, I think, if you want to have a chance. If you don't, then it kind of just it makes goaltending a much more of a question mark, and then it might not necessarily even be an edge for the Rangers. Um, I don't know who Carolina's going to go with. Peter Mrazek seems to be the presumed starter. He was really good in the second half last year. He started the playoffs well until he got hurt. Whereas James Reimer, you know, the last time he started a playoff game, I think he had a relief print in San Jose, but – the last time he started was that disaster in 2013, uh, the, the collapse against Boston. And I do think Reimer was, was a big player in that. I think he panicked. His body language, he, he, he melted down mentally during that collapse in Game 7, 2013. But he was pretty good for Carolina this year. He's the equivalent of the running back who gets what's blocked. And what I mean is he makes all the saves he's supposed to make. He led the NHL in medium danger save percentage. He led the NHL in closest – average goal distance so what it means is to beat Reimer you have to have a really good high danger chance up close but he saved everything that he should have saved so I think he's a much steadier choice and because Carolina is good defensively you don't necessarily need an elite goalie you just need a goalie who's pretty good so it's funny I'm saying this should be a Reimer versus Shesterkin series it could easily be a Mrazic versus Lundqvist series and and in that case for both teams I'll be saying no 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 <laughs> you know so it's just a matter of who they're going to go with and I've counted I, I wrote a story on this in my opinion, 11 of the 24 teams in the tournament have a goaltending controversy to sort out during camps, which is just bizarre. Uh, so who knows? Who knows who they pick? I want to say the edges to the Rangers because even if you go Lundqvist, he has that good history. So they have the better options to choose from. The fact that we could see a combination of any of the four goaltenders in this series, and maybe beyond that at some point, <laughs> um, you know, definitely make it one of the more fascinating series. There's got to be some intangibles, too, that make this series interesting. Ryan, let's back, bounce back to you on that front. Yeah, for me, the intangible is the fact that the Rangers were so good against Carolina this year. I think that's going to be a huge mental edge for them. Obviously, they've had success. You know, they can sort of go back to the tape and say, okay, well, what did we do well here? And, you know, it's, it's not exactly the same Carolina team, but it's pretty close. And I, I think for a New York team that is still on the ascent, this could be a great building block for them. And again, they, I mean, they have nothing to lose. If, if this was a regular season, they probably wouldn't have made the playoffs. So for them, it's very much, let's just go out there and have fun. Let's try to win some games. Let's try to get Henrik 
you know, I mean, <laughs> let's try to get Henrik a cup. Um, is that a long shot? Sure. But, you know, that the motivation within a dressing room is very different than the reality of, you know, punditry. So I look at this Rangers team and I, I feel like this is a series they believe they can win. And I mean, they've, they've got the evidence in front of them. So I, I think the mental edge is there for New York to, to pull this out. Yeah, I'm with Ryan. I think you hit the nail on the head. The Rangers just, they have the house money, happy to be their factor. They're, they're just such a fun team in the second half. They play loose. They play high offense. They seem to enjoy what they're doing. Uh, and there's the win it for Hank factor. Whether he's starting or whether he's on the bench as, as a you know, cheerleader, I think there's a mental edge for the Rangers there. So is that enough for the Rangers to win this series, Matt? I'm going to say no. I think it's going to be a close series. I think it's going to be the closest series of the entire first round. I'm talking like, you know, game five overtime. But with Rod Brindamore behind that bench, he's got that team motivated and disciplined. And the Hurricanes, I just think, if you look at the grand scheme of things, they are a much better defensive team. And if the Rangers' goaltending slips at all, we know for a fact that they're a bad defensive team. And Carolina, they play smart hockey. They're a type of team that can capitalize on those mistakes. So I think their discipline and just – Overall, two-way play will be the difference in a very close series. So, Hurricanes in five. I agree it's going to be close. I have Rangers in five, and it's more of a gut feeling than anything when I think of Artemi Panarin versus whoever Carolina puts in net. I say to myself, that's probably enough to get the Rangers passed, but I agree I think this is going to be the closest series that we see in the play-in round. So, do I, do I break the tie? Go sure. for it. Caroline in five. All right. It's a real coin flip series. Like I almost, it is. I, I even like started writing Rangers because I was making notes and I deleted it. And I was like, yeah, it could go either way. Yeah. And I think you're right in its most intriguing series as well for so many reasons. And, and, and the fact that it, it's two uh, offensively gifted teams for different reasons should be an exciting, exciting series to watch. Uh, Islanders, Panthers. I think we went from a high to a low. Can we move on? Sorry, mm-hmm. Islanders. And- What's that gif? That's like it's the Matthew Perry gif of him doing the thing. Yes. <laughs> oh, boy. Splash okay. cold water on my face. Yeah. Uh, okay, the 7 versus 10 series. Another one that should be close. Um, I don't think it will be, but <laughs> the numbers suggest it should be. Let's start on offense and let's start with Ryan. Uh, break down the offensive side of this series. Well, Florida has one of the best offenses. Uh, well, not in the NHL, but Florida has a, a much better offense than the Islanders did this year. Jonathan Huberto obviously had a monster season. Um, you, know, you know, you look at Barkov, and uh, you know this is a guy that is in his element right now. And you know, with the Islanders, I mean, they they're not a scoring team under Barry Trotz. That's not their thing. They're still very successful, but this is not a team that is going to blow you out of the water necessarily. This is a team that's going to grind you down. So when you look at Florida, um, if they're going to have a chance at pulling this off, it's going to be through their offense. You know, they had a top 10 power play in the NHL. Um, You know, you look at the Islanders and they were bottom 10 when it came to the penalty kill and you know in terms of goals for once again you got to go way down the list Islanders bottom 10 in the NHL once again um, so for me I mean this is a mismatch 
offensively. Not that that's conducive of the whole series, but Florida is definitely the team that can, that can score here. Yeah, I'm with you, Ryan. I think the Islanders, uh, they're not just, they're not great generators on offense. They're one of the weaker possession teams. They've got, I think their power play is 24th in the NHL. And their best offensive player, Matt Barzell, he's kind of undergoing the like Mike Medano transformation where, you know, under a great coach in Barry Trotz, he's being asked to do a lot more. So he's a more complete player than he was a couple of years ago, but he's not scoring as much. And, you know, after his rookie season, he get 85 points. I was thinking Barzell might, be, you know, mature to a 95, 100-point kind of guy. He still might, still very young, but he's being just, you know, he's doing a lot more different things on the ice, and it, it kind of suppresses his offense on the whole, and he's their best offensive player. Islanders are very deep. They're deep at center. you got Barzell, Brock Nelson, and added John Gabriel, Pajot, Casey Sezikas. But again, these guys are just not elite finishers, whereas the Panthers have high-end high skill. Mike Hoffman, another really skilled player. Uh, and of course, Evgeny Dodonov and Uberdo Barkov. And even now, Owen Tippett at camp, he's someone who could be a sleeper who, whether he's playing on the third line or wherever he ends up, if he makes the team, he's got a lot of scoring touch for, you know, he, he really acquitted himself well in the AHL as one of their best prospects. So that's another guy added to the lineup. It could be dangerous, a bit of an X factor. So yeah, I see a, a fairly strong edge here for the Panthers. I think they were sixth in the NHL in goals. So they're, you know, they're one of the better offensive teams. I'm sorry if I'm sniping anybody's intangible here, but one of the more mm -hmm. things that I think that it especially applies to this series is how much physicality is there going to be early in the playoffs? I mean, you know, in a regular year, the first two rounds, teams are just beating the heck out of each other to the detriment of rounds three and four. Um, but it, it's an element that comes into play year after year after year. Is that going to be the case for this year? Is there going to be some subconscious lack of willingness to get up in somebody's face, even in terms of taking the body? Um, is it just going to be a different type of year? Is it because it's really just kind of the start of a season rather than the start, rather than transitioning out of the regular season of the playoffs? And then how much does that impact the Islanders, especially because of their physicality? I was talking to, to Tom Thompson this morning, a long time NHL scout and uh, executive, and he said he thinks that there's going to be very, very little physicality when the playoffs started just because of the layoff and because of this kind of um, the mentality behind COVID. And, and so is it, is it going to be different and how much does that impact the Islanders? Well, that's an interesting point. And I, I think, you know, I would agree that maybe it's going to be less physical because teams are probably going to be faster. They're going to be well rested. And in order to hit somebody, you got to, catch them you gotta you gotta get a beat on them and that might be more difficult in the first series or two so you know this is not going to be the war of attrition that we're used to in the NHL playoffs because this is more like October hockey really I mean guys were just kicking back for a couple of months you know they were maybe doing some golfing I mean obviously they were doing their training but you know like a lot of guys I talked to were saying like I'm treating this like the summer you know, like I, I'm, I'm off the ice, I'm recovering and recuperating and, you know, taking a bit of a break while I have the opportunity. Obviously, you know, now with the training camps, they're ramping back up. But I know we've already seen reports. Um, I believe it was actually Joel Quenville in Florida saying like, man, like the guys are fast right now. Like I'm, I'm impressed at what pace we've had early on in training camp. It really shows how prepared the guys were. And I think part of that is how fresh they are. That's interesting. It's funny, throughout, throughout the COVID shutdown, I've landed on the other side. 
because yes, these guys have had summers, but they, you know, in your typical summer, you're still eventually by August, whenever you're going to get on the ice, you're going to start doing a lot more on ice drills and skills training, all these different things that for skaters in particular, you haven't been able to do in the same way. Uh, so I I'm predicting the, the, a festival of jelly legs at the beginning, kind of like when a player is unsigned, like, well, let's say William Nylander last year, he, he wasn't able to play. He can only practice, he couldn't play with any team. And he just comes in and he never really found his legs all season. And I'm wondering if we're going to see that. And the question is, does that mean less physicality because teams are sort of tentative or is it going to be more physical? It's going to be more of a grinding game. I actually think it's going to be more of a grinding game, at least early on. Uh, so it's, who knows? I could be wrong. Ryan, your theory could be right, but it's just my prediction. I, I'm, I'm, I'm predicting some grubby hockey. At the that's, that, it, that's, again, it's what part of what made, and it's been said time and time again, but it, it, it's, it's what makes this playoff so fascinating is you really don't know until the games get started. And it could be a series to series type of thing, depending how the team is prepared going into it. Um, if it is that grubby type series though, it definitely favors the Islanders because of their defense. Amen. Yes, I, I think that they're, especially their forwards are more of a grinding style and really saw that last year when they swept Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh didn't have an answer for the style of play. But the weirdest thing to me about the Islanders, this was true last year and this year, I don't understand it. I don't know if it's by design, but their defense is kind of bend but don't break. If you actually break down the numbers, they're not very good defensively. They allowed the second most shot attempts, five on five, fifth most scoring chances, fourth most high danger chances. They depend on their goaltending to bail them out. They did that last year. But with Barry Trotz, I, I trust him so much as a coach. I'm just like, oh, that's his plan, right? Yeah, yeah, his plan. Other, but if that's not true, then I think the Islanders are actually quite overrated defensively. Uh, lucky for them, the Panthers were not very great defensively either, bad on the penalty kill. And we knew at the trade deadline, Dale Talon was trying to add another top four defenseman. He couldn't do it. Uh, and Joel Quenville, you know, he, he had trouble figuring out what to do with a lot of those defensemen this year. Even you know, Michael Matheson, this guy that really stands out, he was supposed to be a major part of their top four. And at one point in the season, Quenville's trying it forward. Uh, and I know he's, you know, Quenville's a, a deep thinker as a coach, but if you're Michael Matheson, that's not exactly a vote of confidence. Like, yeah, let's try you out there on the right wing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> out there. yeah, don't worry, but we'll let some other guys stop the other team from scoring. And that's supposed to be, that's supposed to be Matheson's game. He's a defensive defenseman. So I think if you look at the Islanders' metrics being bad, but the Panthers having problems all year, I just think that neither team is great defensively. So I, I say no edge in this series. Hmm. Wow. Well, I'll give the Islanders the edge. Uh, even They might not have the deep stats, but they have the, the raw stats. They were a top 10 team in terms of goals against, whereas Florida was 29th in the NHL. So Florida was just uh, – horrid defensively uh versus you know versus the rest of the league and i i think you know like i said like this is new york's game you know it's it's a, a low scoring structured affair they're not going to give you a lot of space to breathe and and that's how they like it and they've had a bit of success with it recently you know and barry trots that you know he knows what to do with this unit and i i think that's going to be a, a big advantage for the islanders and I think a big reason that the, the Panthers were so horrid on defense was Sergei Bobrovsky. I mean, a huge disappointment in the first year of his big contract. Uh, Ryan, let's stick with you. You can speak to that situation with Florida. Yeah, I mean, if we're going to flip over to goaltending, I, I give the Islanders the edge because, I mean, the, Florida's got a big problem on their hands with, with Bobrovsky. Uh, in terms of goals saved above average, he was one of the worst in the NHL, minus 14.9. 
And I mean, they eventually just went to Chris Dreger and, you know, and Sam Montebo got in, I think, 12 games as well. And, but if you're Florida, do you go with one of those, you know, unproven young guys as your starter in the playoffs when this is the first time, you know, in a couple of years, I mean, Florida does not have a long track record in the playoffs, uh, particularly in recent years. So I feel like they kind of have to go with Bobrovsky uh, because he gives them the best chance, even though he's never been a good playoff goaltender, but I mean, he's got that big contract and he at least has the ceiling of a goaltender who can steal you games and, and be that number one goaltender um, that he has been in the regular season in the past. Whereas you look with the Islanders and they're like, Farlamov, Grace, whatever, you know, we're good either way. You know, we have two solid goaltenders. Um, they're, you know, Grace has been a great soldier for them for a couple of years now. Uh, Farlamov obviously has found his place uh, in New York and, you know, because of the way they play, their goaltenders are very important and their goaltenders have been solid for them. So I, for me, it's a distinct advantage for the Islanders. Matt, you talked about the underlying metrics, though, with this team and the importance and, and big reason they were able to sweep the, the Penguins last year. But the big difference was being that you had Robin Leonard this year. So do the Islanders have that same level of goaltending that they had last year when they had a bit of playoff success? I don't think it's quite at that level. It's good. It's no longer great. And that's why this series, I'm glad Ryan said the word ceiling, because it, it, the goaltending matchup is floor versus ceiling. Islanders now have very high floor goaltending. Barlamov is the quintessential, like, yeah, he's not bad. He's pretty good. He's decent. You know, goal save above average per 60. He was slightly above average. Uh, but again, Laner was, you know, elite last year. So was Grice. Grice was not as good this year. Um, but it's still, I think you have to call it an edge, slight edge. At the same time, when I look at, the big picture of the series, if you're going ceiling, Bobrovsky is the guy that could take over the series. And he's, you know, if you want to trust what he's saying in his interviews the last couple of weeks, he's talking about having got his body feeling right, got his head right. And you have to give some weight to that because there was an earlier point in Bobrovsky's career. And I remember I interviewed him for a story on this when he talked about how he changed his body. He really, he, he reached a point where he was getting hurt and he took the time to reevaluate things. He lost like 20 pounds. He changed his flexibility because he can, he had less meat on his body. He could move around more. And then he got on that run where he became the best goalie in the world for a few years, arguably. Uh, so we know that when he puts his mind to something, he means it. So I think we have to still give that some weight now that he's talking that way leading into these playoffs. So I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna say it's an edge for the Panthers, but I'm gonna call it even. So the Bobrovsky eh, 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 factor versus the the Islanders eh, factor. <laughs> Let's look at the intangibles in this series. And Ryan, uh, start with you. Well, I. This might be odd, but I have the intangibles as a tie uh, because I look at coaching. I don't uh, think you need to rank them. You don't need to rank intangibles. Fair enough. That would make them tangible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, mind blown. Um, yeah, you got Barry Trotz and Joel Quenville, two very established, successful coaches. Um, you know, both have won Stanley Cups. I think it, it's not so much that it's a chess match. Um, so much as you just have two guys that you know are going to be prepared and are going to have their teams in the right headspace. And, you know, these franchises are at different places right now. I think Florida is still a team that is like coming together and there is still a bit more help coming. Um, whereas the Islanders, you know, this is their squad and, you know, not taking away from their prospects necessarily, but, 
you know, this is a team that's in its element right now and is trying to figure out how to break through for a long run. And I think that's sort of the fun here is that you have two great motivators and hockey minds coaching against each other. I think that's such a fantastic point, Ryan, is that especially guys, <laughs> you're welcome. Um, I mean, these teams have had, what, a month and a half now of knowing who their opponent is. Whereas in a regular season, a regular, regular season, you might be waiting until the last day of the year and have less than a week to prepare for your opponent. Mm -hmm. But now these guys have been able to watch video. They've been able to plan for the opponent for an extended period of time. And you wonder which team is going to be more prepared and which team is able to be able to scheme better for those series. That's not only interesting in this series, but in all the series. And you wonder how much that's going to play a factor. Uh, Matt, what intangible are you looking at uh, in this series? Oh the cat! Oh the cat's trying to—he's trying to influence me, and of course he's meowing during the Panthers discussion. Whoa. What are the odds? What are the odds? Uh, I, I agree. I, I try to get the mute button as quickly as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's perfect. Like he knew his timing is great. Uh, I even—I I wrote back. I wrote down like best coaching matchup of all time. It's up there. You have the number two all-time wins guy in Quenville versus number four in Barry Trotz. Uh, but I think I, I really like what you said, Ryan, about the squad because I think that. You know, they're both great tacticians as coaches, and Quenville is the master of matching up and changing during a game even. But the Islanders have more of a, of a forged identity under Trotz. They've just been with him longer, this, this core group. So um, I think that even though Quenville might be the greater all-time coach, I think they offset each other. And I just wrote down, you know, it's the Bobrovsky series. So it's just whatever, to me, whatever Sergei Bobrovsky does is going to be the deciding factor in, in this series. And if, if good Bobrovsky shows up, then it's going to – that'll be the biggest – X factor or intangible, if you will, in the series. Series pick in this one, Ryan? I'm going to go with the Islanders in four. I've got the Islanders in five. Again, I think it's going to be a close series, uh, but Islanders are just more of a fully formed, they have more of a fully formed identity as a team. So, although they did lose their last seven games going into the break, hopefully the shutdown for their sake can, can get that stink off them, if you will. I wonder how much any of the – normally you can look at, like, past 10, past 15 heading into the playoffs, and that's a pretty decent predictor, but I don't know how much, if any, factor that's going to have now. Uh, Leafs-Jackets, the 8-9 series, and another one that I think is 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 going to be really, really tight and could go either way. Uh, Matt, start with the Leafs offense and tell me your thoughts there. Yeah, we know this is the biggest advantage of the series for the Leafs by far. They're, they're one of the best teams in the NHL offensively. They have the star power. You know, John Tavares, Austin Matthews almost flirted with the Rocket Richard, Mitch Marner, and you had the Marner and Zach Hyman forming a great line with Austin Matthews. You had Willie Nylander under Sheldon Keefe finally getting a, a proper chance to play in a bigger role, and he really blossomed. Uh, and now you even have the potential addition of Nick Robertson, Andreas Johnson out of the lineup, Robertson, who was had one of the greatest – junior seasons of all time in the OHL, better than a goal per game. Uh, he could be an addition to the top line. He's going to get a real, by all accounts, a very legitimate chance of making the team. And he's the kind of guy that if he's on the team, you're going to use him in an offensive role. So does he end up on the second line? You never know. I think he could play in the middle six. Uh, whereas the Blue Jackets, they did have tons of injuries to some of their best offensive players from Cam Atkinson to Oliver Bjorkstrand and Seth Jones on defense. So, you know, they were one of the weaker offensive teams in the league, but they, that can be explained away partially by the fact that they lost the most man games in the NHL to injuries. Uh, but regardless, even though most of those guys are coming back other than Josh Anderson, it's still the Leafs. I mean, the Leafs are 
they're up they're in the elite tier best scoring best offensive teams in the NHL so even if Columbus gets back to its full potential they're still going to be middling offensively at best so yes advantage Leafs yeah and I would agree with that you know you look at Columbus they were a bottom five team in the NHL in both goals for and the and the power play um there's just not a ton of offensive ceiling with this team. Obviously, you know, it used to be Artemi Panarin and he's gone now. You know, you look at their best forwards, you know, a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois, he is a fantastic two-way guy, um, but it's much more even out there with the defensive side and the offensive side. Uh, whereas you look at Toronto and as Matt mentioned, it's just a laundry list of guys who can score. And I mean, that's really going to be the crux of this series is you know, can the Leafs get open and, and what can they do against Columbus's young goaltenders? And uh, I, I think that, you know, if, if you're Toronto, you want this to be a firefight. If you're Columbus, you want it to be just a low chance series if you're, if you're going to pull it off. Let's look at the defensive side of the series. Obviously, it's, 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 uh, uh, the advantage is going to be with the Columbus Blue Jackets. But Ryan, let's explain why. Well, I mean, this is, I mean, this is where Columbus thrives. They have some of, you know, the, the best defensemen in the game with Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski. You got a guy in David Savard who's just a monster shot blocker. Uh, you know, the depth is good there, um, but also just as a team, they're great. You know, I mentioned Pierre-Luc Dubois up front, and certainly he's not alone. And, you know, you look at a John Tortorella team, and it's going to be structured. And, you know, I think with Toronto – and they're at least healthy. You know, Morgan Riley is going to be 100% healthy. You know, Jake Muzzin, 100% healthy. So they're in better shape now than they would have been if the playoffs had begun on time. Uh, so that does help them. But overall, I think it's just a big gulf between what the Blue Jackets can put out there and what Toronto can, especially because, you know, Jones fully healthy and rested, Warensky rested. You know, those are guys that you could throw out on the ice you know, 26, 27 minutes a game if you had to, and, and you wouldn't bat an eye. So for me, uh, it's a pretty big advantage for Columbus. Yeah, I agree with you, Ryan. I think as big as Toronto's offensive advantages, Columbus's defensive advantage is just as big. The Leafs did improve overall on defense when Keefe took over, so compared to a couple of years ago, but they still allow the third most scoring chances in the league and the 11th most high danger chances. So that's, that's been a problem with, with the, sort of in the Austin Matthews era. The identity of the Leafs is that they just still give up the big chances. Um, and now Columbus is a little bit healthier, so they might be better equipped to capitalize on those mistakes than, than people might think. And Columbus, on the other hand, they play big boy hockey. And it's interesting. They're, they're kind of the anti-Islanders. So you look at a team like the Islanders, who wasn't that good defensively, bailed out by great goaltending. Uh, Columbus got great goaltending, but it was more, you could argue, because of their defense. The quality of chances on Merzlikens and Corpusala were actually low quality. They had very good uh, expected goals against, third lowest in the NHL, second fewest high danger chances against. So Columbus earns that low goals against average total. It's a team effort. It's not just being bailed out by goaltending. They are elite at keeping quality chances away from their net. So I think they're one of the better defensive teams in the league whereas the Leafs are one of the weaker defensive teams, in, at least among the playoff group. So big advantage for Columbus. It's funny, before the start of this season, if you would have looked at it on paper, which one of these teams would have had the goaltending advantage, it would have been no question. <laughs> but now uh, it is a true question mark, and you don't know which version 
uh, of either goaltending set you're going to get going into the playoffs. Matt, uh, who do you favor in this series in terms of, of the crease advantage? I favor the Blue Jackets. And, you know, Freddie Anderson, he had a terrible season. He was one of the worst goaltenders in the NHL. And I think he, if you look at the statistics, he actually, his play, goaltending in general before Jack Campbell came in, goaltending, so Michael Hutchinson as well, it actually stole multiple wins from the Leafs this season. Whereas Columbus got very good goaltending from both of their guys, Corpus Allo and Elvis Merzlikens. And what's interesting to me is, you know, I don't know who they're going to choose. I, I think Merzlikens, if he's the guy, it becomes especially intriguing because he's the, he's the definition of a series stealer. He got five shutouts in an eight-game span at one point this season. That's That's got to be scary news for the Leafs when someone can get that hot. And where's Fred Anderson? Even when Anderson was having his better seasons last year, the year before, he still was ho-hum in the playoffs. That was Freddie at his best. So Freddie, you know, he struggled all year. We don't know what we're going to get from him, whereas Columbus has two good options. I like the Blue Jackets, especially because, you know, Toronto obviously is a team with more pressure on it by far. So Blue Jackets, to me, have a pretty decent edge in net. And Matt, or from Ryan, from reading your feature on Mercer Wickens that you wrote earlier this, this offseason, I mean, this is a guy, when he gets rolling, if he gets hot, if they choose to go with him, uh, that could, if he gets hot, that could spell real danger for the Leafs. Yeah, and for me, I, I'm, I called it a tie just because we don't know what Merzlikens and Corpus Allo will do on this stage just yet. It, it might follow what they did in the regular season. And, you know, Merzlikens was, was top 10 in the league in goals saved above average, uh, 12.10. Um, so he definitely has the capability, but you know, the playoffs are a different beast and it's just a bit of an unknown for me with, with Frederick Anderson, you know, we've seen him in the playoffs. It hasn't been great. He, he can get hot at times. Um, but I, I'm just not sure either way, um, you know, this series will go in terms of net minding and I mean, call this a, a hot take, but I, I, I believe that if Toronto is going to be a serious Stanley Cup contender, Freddie Anderson is not going to be the netminder. Um, I think they're going to have to look for other options. And whether that's, uh, you know, somebody younger or somebody that they pull at a free agency in, you know, the next year or two, I think they're going to have to look that way, um, especially if he has another subpar series this year in the playoffs. Uh, obviously against Columbus uh, in, in this case. Any chance we see Jack Campbell in this series? In a short series, I think you have to consider Possibly. it. Yeah, if Freddie implodes in game one, or maybe or game one and game two, you have to consider it. Short series changes that. Other intangibles you might be looking at, Matt? I think that the Columbus Blue Jackets, if you look at all the series in the first round, the intangible category, the Blue Jackets have the biggest edge over any team against any opponent. You have John Tortorella, extremely experienced, Stanley Cup winning coach against Sheldon Keefe, who has not even coached, he's barely coached half a season in the NHL. He's just getting his feet wet. And Keefe is coaching the team that has extreme pressure on it after three straight first round playoff exits, even in this weird short tournament. If the Leafs don't make it very far, it's still going to be perceived as pretty disastrous. Whereas the Blue Jackets, they've got this us-against-the-world mentality. You know, you lose Bobrovsky, Panarin, Matt Duchesne. You still make the playoffs. You have the most man games lost. You still make the playoffs. 
And a couple months ago, I talked to Nick Foligno, their captain, about it, and you could see the pride. You could sense the pride coming from him, and he, he used the next man up mentality. It was kind of, didn't matter. We kept getting injuries. Somebody else comes in, and he still performs well. And, you know, whether it's a you know, rookie like Neil Bamstrom, who got hot later down, down the road in the season. And I think they've got just their real underdog mentality. They don't face any pressure. I think they're relishing this. Uh, and the other thing is just stylistically, the Leafs are very similar to what Tampa was last year when Columbus swept them. And I'm not saying Columbus is going to sweep Toronto, but I think they're a bad matchup for the Leafs because they play a heavy grinding style. And the Leafs have even less grit than Tampa did last year. The Leafs, that, that could not be less their game. And of course, there are advantages to that. But when you face a team like Columbus, it's like, I don't know. I think Columbus is a kryptonite team for the Leafs. And I think just that all those little intangibles favor the Blue Jackets to me. I wonder if uh, Columbus is a little bit like Vegas from two years ago. Just us against the world. Nobody believed in us. But, you know, well, we'll, we'll it's interesting. Show yeah, it's interesting because, you know, Columbus is a team that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Like that's their, that's their game. You know, they, they don't think ahead. Uh, you know, they play in the now. They're very structured. It's funny. I, I spoke to Nick Foligno on another occasion where, you know, he talked about that's what they did against Tampa Bay. They said to themselves, do not cheat, you know, do your job, finish your assignment, you know, each game, if we do that, then we, ha then we give ourselves a chance to win and we believe we can win. They didn't think they were going to sweep the lightning, but that's how it turned out. You look at Toronto, this is a team that makes a lot of mistakes. And, you know, sometimes it, you know, when they're going, you know, as we talked about the offense, they can really pile up goals and they're super fun to watch, but they do make errors, uh, particularly in their own end. And Columbus is the type of team where even though they don't have necessarily, you know, elite scorers right now, other than maybe Cam Atkinson, they can take advantage of mistakes. And I think that is the distinct uh, advantage that Columbus brings to this series. Series pick, Matt? Going to be close. Uh, the Leafs, you know, even when they've been flawed, they always put up a good fight in a series they did against Boston. They're explosive. When the Leafs get hot offensively, almost no team can stop them. So they're going to win some games in the series. But Blue Jackets, no pressure, better defensive team, I think better goaltending, big edge in coaching experience. I have the Blue Jackets winning this series in five. Hmm. Brian? I also have the Blue Jackets in five. I just think that they are – uh, they're better set up for this series. It's just a bit of a style matchup. It's just a nightmare for the Leafs, say. Eh? Yeah, just worst in my opinion, the worst possible yeah. draw for for opponent style. But hey, you gotta you gotta beat you gotta beat tough competition to win. Well, I guess on the bright side, you're not gonna lose to Boston. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. So going back over the series, that was the eight nine series in the uh, five twelve Pens Canyons. We've got the Penguins. Uh, Hurricanes, Rangers. I think I split the tie for the Canes. Islanders, Panthers. We've got the Islanders and Blue Jackets, Leafs. We've got the Jackets. That's your uh, first round matchups in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we're going to be back podcasting next week. We are. Well, next week, we're going to break down the round robin. We'll rank those round robin teams. All right. And I think since Ken's on vacation until uh, September of 2023, I will probably be back. Uh, sorry to everybody who has to look at me again. And uh, yeah, that's our podcast for this week. Thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll talk to you again next week. And maybe next week we'll have multiple cats. <laughs>
<laughs> but we still got this one. This is a different one from the first one. Whoa! And none of them like the Panthers. Oh. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>